Well, it's been rough and rocky traveling, but I'm finally standing upright on the ground. And after taking several readings, I'm surprised to find my mind still fairly sound. Yes, Nashville was the roughest, but I know I've said the same about them all. Hello, welcome to a six-string hayride podcast, a journey through the world of classic country music with your hosts, Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley. We will be covering all of the great topics in country music, from mama to prison, to dancing, to drinking, to guitar picking, to all the crazy deal with the devil, honky-talking stuff you do on Saturday night, and how you try to get it past your Lord on Sunday morning. So climb aboard the cart and let's go. You do know why you're here. Yes. There's great confusion on earth. And the power that is has concluded the following. Perfect man has visited earth already and his voice was heard. The voice of imperfect man must now be made manifest. And I have been selected as the most likely candidate. Today on the Hayride, we're going to talk about one of our favorite singer-songwriters. One of America's favorite singer-songwriters. One of planet Earth's favorite singer-songwriters. Basically, as far away as you want to pull back, he's still going to be everyone's favorite singer-songwriter. And that man, of course, is the incomparable Willie Nelson. Specifically, we're going to be talking about Yesterday's Wine, which was released in 1971 and was the first of Willie's concept albums. For anyone who may not be overly familiar with the term, the idea of a concept album is that the record revolves around a single theme or a series of stories about a central character. In just a few minutes, Jim will give us more information about the genre of concept albums, including some really good examples and some not-so-good examples. Uh, Suffice it to say that for Willie... The early 70s was when he made his mark by showing what the concept album should be as it relates to country music. Specifically, we're going to talk about his 1971 studio album, Yesterday's Wine. Now, for me, this is a deeply personal record. It was the first Willie Nelson album that I ever owned. Uh, My mother had given it to me as a gift, either for a birthday or Christmas. I I honestly don't remember which. Uh, This was likely at the very end of the 70s or the very beginning of the 80s. So I was quite young. And immediately, this just became something that I started to listen to on a regular basis. Now, Willie is uniquely uh, suited to do this because as a songwriter of immeasurable quality, he can sit down and craft the stories to flow the way he wants to. Not only is he a writer, but as such an accomplished musician, he can structure the narrative and the melody and all of the interludes to flow exactly how he wants it to be delivered to his audience. One thing that you'll read quite a bit about if you read many books about Willie or read or listen to many interviews with Willie is that early on in his career, he really had this vision in his mind of what he wanted his music to sound like on recording. And he was having a difficult time achieving that 
for a variety of reasons, not being able to take his own band into the studio, uh, being forced to cut material that perhaps wasn't what he wanted to record. But he always had this idea that there was so much more possible. And I do believe that this album, although it's his 13th studio album uh, and his 11th for RCA Victor, I believe this album is the first time that we really hear the Willie Nelson that the world comes to know and love. This is really where he starts to show what's possible when you just get out of his way and let him do his thing. Whiskey River, take my mind. A lot of detail about the record itself. Jim's going to tell us a bit about concept albums as a genre. And again, like I said, we'll, we'll get some interesting examples and we'll have a lively discussion. Jim, what do you have for us? The great songwriter, Mike Nesmith, was often quoted as talking about a song as a little miniature movie for the mind. The challenge is to take that idea of a tiny movie in your mind and turn that into a novel as much as the individual song is a short story, a poem, a short film. There are some truly ambitious writers in music who, again, have the technical ability and the flat out passion and skill to create an album as a whole, a story from beginning to end, whether it be a character narrative Something like Joe's Garage, the Frank Zappa concept from the 1970s. We could jam in Joe's Garage. His mama was screaming, turn it down. We were playing the same old song in the afternoon. And sometimes we were playing all night long. It was all we knew and easy to Or is it a loose collection of ideas? joined together as much by the work as by the songwriter's claim about the work. Something like Sgt. Pepper from California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters. 
This land was made for you and me. The title is pretty self-explanatory. 1940, the Depression is starting to ease up a little bit. You have a climate, environmental, and economic situation in the southern central plains of the United States, mostly Oklahoma, uh, where there are crop failures, there are home foreclosures, there are families taking to filling up a cart and hitting the road for California in the belief that there will be work and housing and food and safety for families in what is sort of described as the promised land. And Woody Guthrie ties all of these things together and the songwriting is really powerful. And uh, again, he very deservedly gets the credit for what becomes known as the first concept album. We're looking at the idea again of taking you know one song and stretching that out thematically into something that is comparable to a novel. In 1959, a record that we discuss a lot on this program, Marty Robbins gives us the great gunfighter ballads. Uh, that is a straight up themed concept record from start to finish. The Outlaw, The Gunfighter Life, uh, El Paso. We have talked about our love for that song quite a bit. Uh, Big Iron is the other classic on that record. To the town of Alfrey who rode a stranger one fine day Hardly spoke to folks around him, didn't have too much to say No one dared to ask his business, no one dared to make a slip the stranger there among them had a big iron on his hip. Big iron on his hip. And then in 1964, Johnny Cash gives us Bitter Tears, a incredible reflection on the situation of indigenous people in this country. And his version of the Ballad of Ira Hayes is something we've talked about on the show. Uh, extraordinary storytelling. Cash is always musically, socially, culturally, you know, champion of the underdog. Now I will tell you, Buster, that I ain't a fan of Custer's. And the general, he don't ride well anymore. To some he was a hero, but to me his score was zero. And the general, he don't ride well anymore. And this is again, from 1964, a great concept record. The rock and roll kids come into the party around this time. In 1966, Brian Wilson creates Pet Sounds. Sheriff John Stone, why don't you leave me alone? Yeah. Well, I feel so broke up, I want to go home. Boys sing his probably best and most complicated compositions. In 1967, the Beatles kind of fresh off their retirement from touring and their adventurous indulgence in the recording studio with George Martin give us Sgt. Pepper. And people who discuss and write about music, make a lot of noise about this record. 
Mostly rightfully so. I think Rubber Soul and Revolver are far more ambitious. But Pepper is the Beatles pretending to be another band. The album works as a concept because at the beginning they say, hello, good evening, we're Sgt. Pepper's band, and now we're going to play some songs. And then about 35 minutes later, they say, hey, thanks for coming. We're Sgt. Pepper's band, and we played some songs for you. going home and the real payoff is what comes after that in a day in the life he probably one of the greatest songwriting accomplishments ever anywhere anytime i read the news today oh boy about a lucky man who made the grade and things get a little weird in 1969, Pete Townsend and the Who give us Tommy. Like Pepper, this is another highly touted and much discussed concept album of its era. My personal feeling is that it is vastly overrated. The guitar playing on this record is really good. The overall musicianship of the Who is really good, but once you get past being a 14 or 15 year old boy, the lyrics kind of fall flat and the concept of a deaf, dumb and blind kid who turns pinball skill into being kind of cult leader. I mean, it's hard to keep up with that one, Pete. The better concept album from Pete Townsend is the great Quadrophenia from 1973. This one completely works because the character is totally relatable, uh, the, the complete opposite of the Tommy character. In Quadrophenia, you have a young man who is angry at his dad. He is jealous of the good-looking guy that runs in his crowd, and he's afraid of talking to women. We've all had some experience with those types of things in life. Why should I care if I have to cut my hair? I got to move with the fashion or be outcast. It's by far the, the much better accomplishment as far as concept albums go. Um, like I said, we have... Uh, the 70s are a real time of excess in popular music. Uh, Joe's Garage by Frank Zappa in the 70s is incredibly good. But then you have fellows like Rush, who are great musicians, but you read a lot of Ayn Rand, and you watch a little bit too much space, 1999, and Lord only knows what's going to come out. Um, well, a Rush album. I Apologies to you folks who really dig those guys, but I think it's just easier to pick up a copy of The Hobbit and read that 
and then go listen to some Led Zeppelin songs about hobbits and Vikings, and, and you're good. You're properly taken care of at that point. And as much as the rock and roll crowd is getting into this overdone and excessive bout with the concept record in the 70s, we come back to somebody who's truly a great writer. Uh, Chris had mentioned his singing and performing skills. Uh, Chris, my friend, you forgot to mention the man is an extraordinary guitar player. Um, but it's Willie Nelson who really sets the high bar in terms of literary storytelling quality with concept albums in the 70s. I think you could probably set aside Sgt. Pepper, set aside Tommy. If you look at Ray Davies writing with the Kinks in the late 1960s, Village Green and Arthur are conceptual works dealing with a nostalgia and a reflection on eras of on what's regarded as golden eras in British society. Preserving the old ways from being abused Protecting the new ways for me and for you What more can we do? There's a real sense of nostalgia. There's a real sense of questioning who you are, where your place is, how much you want to stick to the old ways, how much you want to begin to ask your own questions. And I think thematically, and, and certainly in the quality of the writing, that is where Willie Nelson comes to be in the 70s. It's yesterday's wine in 1971. It's phases and stages in 1974 and it's redheaded stranger in 1975 and how does willie himself get to that point you know outside of the world of these types of albums we're talking about well in 1951 your friend and mine willie nelson is discharged from the air force because he has a bad back from what I've read, he didn't even have time to be much of a troublemaker, and uh, he gets discharged for a perfectly valid and upstanding reason. He has a bad back. In 1956, he finds himself in Vancouver, in Washington State, not the Canadian one. And for two years, he's doing a lot of radio work. And then he winds up in Houston. A fellow named Paul Buskirk hires him to be a guitar teacher in his school. In 1960, Willie, who is around Nashville, becoming known uh, as the secret weapon songwriter in town, does Hello Walls for Fair and Young. And I'll bet you dread to spend another lonely night with me. But lonely walls, I'll keep you company. He has a hard time getting work playing his own music. So he winds up playing bass for Ray Price, who he had also written songs for. He does have a solo record come out in 1962 that's called And Then I Wrote. At this point, 
Willie has already written all of his classic work for Patsy Cline, and he's written Hello Walls for Fair and Young. In 1964, he finally gets picked up by Chet Atkins at RCA. And from 66 to 69, he has a little bit of a consistent run of some records that go into the top 25. And remember, it's early in the 60s that he's becoming known as a songwriter and he's helping Patsy Cline create her legend. I'm crazy. Crazy for feeling so lonely I'm crazy Crazy for feeling so blue By the end of the decade, he's finally getting a few of his own records into the top 25 But it's not enough he gets divorced at the end of the 60s. The house, the property that he has burns down. And a lot of the songwriting royalties, by the time we get to 1970, he's invested that money into tours that, unlike today, there was no audience. There was no people anticipating the tours and following them around. Uh, he was just kind of throwing the money away at that point. So... In 1971, he marries a woman named Connie, and he moves to Texas. And what he begins to create and accomplish at that time, I could tell you the kind of fact-specific stuff about it, but Chris is the expert here. So let's paint a little picture of where Willie is at this point in his career. And it's important to understand that while Willie Nelson is an icon today, and if there were any sort of country music Mount Rushmore, he might actually get like more than one of the spots. This is before any of that happens. Now, I'm not trying to bore listeners to death by reciting a bunch of facts and figures, but I do think it's important to understand this. So Willie's first two albums, uh, the first one of which is called And Then I Wrote, which was released in 1962. The second one is called Here's Willie Nelson, released in 1963. Both of those are on a very small label called Liberty Records. Neither does much of anything. Now, this is pretty interesting because some of the songs that are on And Then I Wrote include Hello Walls. And I'll bet you dread to spend another lonely night with me. But lonely walls, I'll keep you company. Funny how time slips away. How am I doing? Oh, I guess that I'm doing fine. It's been so long now, but it seems now that it was only yesterday. 
and one of my favorite lesser-known Willie songs, Mr. Record Man. Mr. Record Man, I'm looking for a song I heard today. There was someone blue singing about someone who went away. Just like me, his heart was yearning for a love that used to be. All of these songs have been part of Willie's canon forever and literally since the beginning. I mean, we see it here with three of the biggest hits the man ever wrote appearing on his first almost indie label you know, definitely indie label, uh, Liberty record releases. The second one, which is called here's Willie Nelson and comes out in July of 1963. So it's not like the man started out slow in terms of his talent, but in terms of finding an audience, this is where he is when we get to mid 1971. So neither of those first two albums chart at all. And again, they're they're very small labels, or it's a very small label, I should say, um, not widely distributed, never really had a chance to become a hit. It's just the way the business works, uh, especially at that time. As was mentioned, he gets signed to RCA Victor by Chet Atkins, and he then starts to release a series of albums. So his first 10 albums for RCA Victor they chart respectively at number 14, number nine, number seven, number nine, didn't chart, number 29, number 39, doesn't chart, doesn't chart, 43. So that's where we are at this point in time. We're not at Willie the massively famous, everything he touches turns to gold superstar of country music. We're at Willie, the struggling singer-songwriter, was a great DJ, is a great songwriter, is a great musician, but isn't really finding his audience. I definitely don't want to convey the picture to the listener that Yesterday's Wine comes out and it's a smash hit and off Willie goes and he's going to be super famous and successful from now on. In fact, that's not what's going to happen. Yesterday's Wine also charts at number 43. Uh, there are two more albums that come out on RCA Victor, uh, both in 1972. Uh, the first one called The Words Don't Fit the Picture doesn't chart at all. His final RCA album uh, that's just Willie on his own because he does, of course, do the Willie and Waylon stuff on RCA a little bit later. Uh, but that one charts at number 34. He then moves to Atlantic for two albums, Shotgun Willie, which the title track is absolutely one of my favorite songs. It's just kitschy and fun and bouncy and enjoyable and whatever other adjective you want to throw. Well, you can't make a record if you ain't got nothing to say. You can't make a record if you ain't got nothing to say. Play music if you don't know nothing to play. That album charts at number 41, so even lower than his last RCA Victor release. And then Phases and Stages, which was which Jim mentioned in his lead up to this, only charts at number 34. This is a record that becomes 
bigger later on once people kind of get the feel for what Willie is doing. It's not until his first album for Columbia, which is released in 1975, and listeners may recall was number three on my all-time list, uh, Redheaded Stranger. That's where he hits number one, and from that point, Willie is Willie. He's the country outlaw. He's the redheaded stranger. He's the man who cannot miss. The redheaded stranger from Blue Rock, Montana, rode into town one day. And under his knees was a raging black stallion. Walking behind was a baby. His albums are just going to be like when he, when he's when he comes in second on the charts it's a disappointment for a little while after redheaded stranger so again i don't want listeners to think yesterday's wine comes out and changes everything it doesn't but what it does is it sets the table for what's to come so as jim mentioned earlier at this point in willie's life he he's relatively newly divorced his ranch has burned down he just decides it's time for a new beginning. On May 1st, Willie sits down to start writing material for the new album. He writes nine songs between May 1st and May 2nd. On May 3rd, Willie goes into the studio where he records on May 3rd and May 4th. Literally four days after sitting down to write the first lyrics and melody for this album it's in the can it still needs to be mixed and pressed but it's done the recording part is done when the album comes out people actually take a look at the liner notes as we used to do in the day and they say oh well willie wrote nine of the ten songs on this one of course the song he didn't write was family bible which was written by Paul Buskirk. But as it turns out, Willie actually wrote Family Bible. At the end of day when work was over And when the evening meal was done Dad would read to us from the Family Bible And we count our many blessings When he was a disc jockey in Vancouver, he was working on songs. And this is one of the ones he had worked on. Uh, as a matter of fact, he, he played it for a few different people who were visiting the studio to be interviewed for him. And one of them actually said, this song is so good. You need to move to Nashville tonight and become a full-time songwriter. Just go. At some point, he goes to dinner with a gentleman by the name of Paul Buskirk. Uh, Paul wants him to, or to teach guitar. And they have a nice dinner. Willie has no money to cover his share of the dinner. So he sings a little bit of family Bible to Mr. Buskirk and says, how about you give me 50 bucks for this song and you pay my dinner tap? I can see you sitting around the table. That's from the family Bible that would read. I can hear my mother softly sang 
rock of ages, rock of ages left for me. And the song goes on to become a massive hit, not just for Willie Nelson later on, but prior to that, you know, covers were done by George Jones. Later on, Willie redoes it with Merle Haggard. Johnny Cash and Willie have a live version. It's a big song. It's a big hit. Willie's attitude is, hey, if I can write one hit song, I can write another. As a matter of fact, when Willie goes on to write Hello Walls and he's pitching it at Tootsie's Orchid Lounge, Farron Young says he's going to record it and he thinks it's going to be a hit. Willie tries to sell the song to Farron for, I believe, $500. Farron says, no, that's not what we're doing at all. I'm going to lend you some money just so that you can be whole for now. You have to promise me you will not sell this song to anyone else. You're going to get the writer credit on this. She went away and left us all alone the way she planned. Guess we'll have to learn to get along without her if we can. And a few weeks later, after the song goes to number one for Farron, uh, not too long after that, Willie receives his first royalty check for songwriting. And the amount that I've heard over the years has varied, but it's essentially somewhere between twelve dollars and $20,000. So the man was going to sell the song for 500 outright, and now he realizes, oh, there's some money in the songwriting thing. So for Willie, this is the birth of his run of concept albums. The next two, which we've mentioned, Phases and Stages, and then, of course, Redheaded Stranger, are going to start a wave. But this is the first time where we really hear Willie trying to communicate the musical vision that's been swimming around in his head for all of these years. Now, Willie doesn't get to the point where he can fulfill one of his dreams, which is he really wants to use his own band in the studio. He just thinks that the vibe and the interconnectedness will be so much better. Uh, that actually happens on his first record for Atlantic, Shotgun Willie. Uh, that's actually his band playing on most of it. But here we're going to have some guys that we've talked about many times before on the podcast. We're going to have several members of the Nashville a team. Uh, Junior Husky is on bass. Weldon Myrick's on pedal steel, buddy spikers on fiddle. We have pig Robbins on organ and piano, Charlie McCoy on harmonica and the inimitable chip young on guitar along with the others. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with chip, since we haven't, talked about him as much on the podcast you listen to the beginning of jolene and tell me that isn't the most fantastic guitar picking you've heard so what is the concept of this one well the concept is that the storyteller here the narrator and i won't refer to willie as willie in this because it's really him just reciting the story is that perfect man has already had his time on earth and now God is sending somebody back to, to carry a message to imperfect man. And he has chosen the narrator of this album to be that messenger. Never think evil thoughts of anyone it's just as wrong 
to think as to say. So let's go through the songs a little bit. So in the opener, in Where's the Show, you have the narrator essentially crying for guidance. Like, okay, you, you want me to lead. You want me to carry this message, but how, how am I supposed to do that? Explain again to me, Lord, why I'm here. I don't know. I don't know. And then the next track, which is called In God's Eyes, now our narrator starts to understand what's being asked of him. What is he supposed to do? How is he supposed to make this happen? Lend a hand, if you can, to a stranger. Never worry if he can't repay. For in time you'll be repaid ten times over In God's eyes he sees it this way So in this song our narrator starts to understand what is being asked of him he he's being asked to take a message of hope and helping and caring to the world he talks about lending a hand if you can to a stranger. He talks about not worrying if that stranger can't repay because you're going to get paid. It's the whole cast your bread upon the waters theme. You're going to get paid down the line 10 times over. That's just how God sees things. Family Bible, which we talked about a little bit already. This is the singer kind of getting the education that he needs in order to be able to carry this message when from the family bible dad would read and i can hear my mother softly singing rock of ages rock of ages left for me uh, the next song, It's Not For Me To Understand. This is, to me, one of the more poignant songs on the album. I passed a home the other day. The yard was filled with kids at play. And on the side walk of this home a little boy stood all alone and again these aren't huge hits for the most part there, there are a couple hits on this record and there is my favorite willie nelson song of all time is going to be towards the end here but the reason this is such a poignant song is the message of the song is that the storyteller is walking past a home and he sees all of these children playing and having a good time.
but he sees one kid kind of standing off to us to the side by himself. Although he looks happy, the singer realizes that the child is blind. And so he starts questioning God, like, how could you do this? How could you make this poor child have no ability to see? And God tells our narrator, listen, that's, you don't worry about understanding why I'll worry about understanding why and how it fits into the bigger picture. You just make sure that you're delivering this message to the people as a whole. After all, you're just a man and it's not for you to understand. It's not for you to reason why you two are blind without my eyes. The singer leaves the song understanding that there is purpose behind all of God's acts and actions, regardless of whether he understands what it is or what it's not. The end of this side of the album is the song, These Are Difficult Times. And again, it's a medley. These are difficult times slash remember the good times. And in this song, God's message to imperfect man starts to take on a clarity. Invaluable moments gone with the leakage of time. As we leave on our own separate journeys Moving west with the sun To a place buried deep in our minds The bad times always seem to dominate But remembering the good times Is how you get through the bad times It's the answer to life's difficulties don't spend too much time on the bad times Their staggering number will be heavy as lead on your mind So that takes us through the first half of the album. And if this was the late 70s or early 80s when little Chris was sitting in his bedroom listening to this, He'd be walking across the room now to flip the record over. Well, we're going to take a short intermission, my friends. We'll be back right after you turn the record over. Hey, Ride listeners, we will be right back as soon as you flip over this podcast. Song one on side two, which is called Summer of Roses, it's probably the most beautiful song on the album. But a short time is better than no time, you see. So I bring to you all my possessions. And would that you share them with me. Uh, 
the main message of the song is about a love that's over and gone, but it's still worth having lived through. And for anyone who likes classical music and you're familiar with Vivaldi and the Four Seasons, Willie actually brings in these amazing turns of phrase in the second and third verse of the song. And I bring you one summer of roses One summer of roses I bring Where he actually refers back to the seasons. And that takes us to the title track, Yesterday's Wine, which is essentially about friendship through the years. And and the the idea of this song is something that, again, probably a lot of people can relate to. The song starts out, the song starts out with somebody that the singer hasn't seen in quite some time walking into a bar that just happens to be one of our storytellers favorite haunts. It's somewhere that he and his friends go to listen to music and to have a few drinks and to unwind and to reflect on their lives and the past and the good times and the times to come. Fancy meeting you here The last time I saw you was just out of Houston Sit down, let me buy you a beer And we've all done this. We've all run into somebody that we haven't seen in a long time somewhere. You just bump into somebody. So this song is the narrator walking us through that happening to him. The second to last song on this one, it's probably been played in every Willie Nelson live show since it was written. We received our education in the cities of the nation, me and Paul. So who is Paul? Well, in this case, Paul is Paul English, who is not only Willie's road manager and drummer, but really he's Willie's best friend. And um, Willie and Paul actually were in real life best of friends. And this song is incredibly biographical. Hands down, it is my favorite Willie song ever. Um, it was my favorite song, even as a little kid listening to this one. It, there's just something about it. It's so catchy and upbeat, and it describes their adventures. It does, we're talking about 1971. People probably fairly regularly accept that certain musicians, rock musicians, jazz musicians, blues musicians, are smoking weed, but country musicians, oh no, 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 no. Now, I don't know if this was intentional on Willie's part or not, and I don't know that he's ever been asked this question, certainly not where I've read, but I would really like somebody to ask Willie this question. So the lyric in the song is almost busted in Laredo, but for reasons I'd rather not disclose, but if you're staying in a motel room and leave, just don't leave nothing in your clothes. Almost busted in Laredo, but for reasons that I'd rather not disclose. 
But if you're staying in a motel there and leave, just don't leave nothing in your clothes. And at the airport in Milwaukee, they refuse to let us board the plane at all. They said we look suspicious, but I believe they like to pick on me and Paul. Obviously, this is a reference to drugs. Knowing Willie, we can reasonably assume it's a reference to marijuana. But in the country music world of 1971, that's pretty risky. So I've always wondered if Willie just kind of floated this as a trial balloon to see how much pushback he got. And that takes us to the final song on the album, the very aptly titled Going Home. The closer I get to my home, Lord, the more I want to be there. There'll be a gathering of loved ones and friends And Lord, you know I want to be there So what do we mean to go home? Well, in this case, the messenger who was sent to Earth to deliver the message to imperfect man has done so. And so it's time to be called home in the biblical sense. It's time to go home to God. It's time for Willie, as the narrator of our story, to find out if indeed he can take all that crazy honky-tonkin' that he did on Saturday night and slip it past his Lord on Sunday morning. And so, in a nutshell, that's the record. Well, folks, thanks for spending some time with us. As always, Chris is going to pour out another John Wayne drink recipe for us. This time it is a gin drink. And I'm rolling down the street, smoking in no sipping on gin and juice, laid back. Money on my money on my mind. Fill your hand, you son of a bitch. And it is influenced by the movie The Sons of Katie Elder, John Wayne. Dean Martin, a young Earl Holloman. So, Chris, let's have some gin. It's a sort of a typical story where you have four brothers who haven't seen each other in forever. Uh, they reunite at their mother's funeral, and it turns out that a villain is trying to take over their mother's ranch, and they want to get it back and teach this guy a lesson. And Imagine what kind of lesson John Wayne and Dean Martin are going to teach someone. And that's basically what you have. It is an absolute classic. It's wonderfully entertaining. But let's get to the drink, the Katie Elder. This one's going to be one and a half ounces of gin, a half ounce of Contro, three quarters ounce of fresh lemon juice, a half ounce of simple syrup, Three ounces of club soda water. You're going to shake the gin, the contro, the lemon juice, and the syrup with ice. You're going to strain it into a highball glass and top with soda. Then you're going to drink it. Then you're going to make another one, and you're going to drink that one too. And damn it, you just keep going until you fall down. But as always, try not to die. The life I love is making music with my friends. 
And I can't wait to get on the road again Big finish And I can't wait to get on the road again Thank you all very much Thank you very much Thank you, everybody As always, we'd like to remind you to email us at sixstringhayride at yahoo.com. Six is spelled out. You can also search us uh, on Facebook as Six String Hayride. Or what we'd really appreciate you doing is finding us on Patreon under Six String Hayride as well. So Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Six String Hayride. Again, six is spelled out. Well, folks, thanks again for joining your hosts, Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley on the Six String Hayride Classic Country Podcast. We are here for all of your classic country, rockabilly, early rock and roll, little gospel, little blues, a lot of excellent country music-themed recipes. And basically, we are here to keep your musical circle rocking bopping and very much unbroken so thank you for sticking with us we will see you down the road real soon and again whether it's in your home in your community wherever it is you do your thing keep your circle unbroken stay well stay safe and we'll see you real soon can the circle be unbroken by and by I'm gonna join the family circle at the throne No, the circle won't be broken By and by, Lord, by and by Remember, the force will be with you, always.